folks, and welcome to a very special episode of Hey Adora. I am Force Captain Meff, they, them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And before we get started on our very special episode, we have a couple of announcements we'd like to make. Uh, the first one, I have a very small correction because I'm incredibly pedantic. Uh, in the last episode, I mentioned reverb. And I said it was like Echo. It's not. Reverb is resonance. And I know I'm being pedantic, but that's kind of who I am. So thanks for hanging in there with me, audio nerds. I appreciate it. I'm sure the audio geeks appreciate that. To those of us who are not, it pretty much sounds like the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yes. That's fair. And also, you specifically said that it wasn't Echo. So you didn't technically get it wrong. Just for clarity's sake. Thank you, Jenny. If uh, You are my lawyer from now yes, on. Yes, yes. Was, that was some good lawyering. That's always my function at family gatherings. Happy to help. <laughs> Second thing that we are announcing, um, while we were on hiatus, we made our first Hey Adora podcast donation because we have been squirreling away 5% of all our Patreon profits since we started our Patreon. And at the end of December, we finally had enough that we said, hey, let's donate. So we donated $125 in all of your names, lovely patrons of ours, to the Alley Forney Center here in New York City, which is a queer homeless youth center that does wonderful, wonderful work. Yeah, they are absolutely wonderful. You can find them at Alley Forney Center. It's A-L-I-F-O-R-N-E-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R on all the socials or AlleyForneyCenter.com. Is it .org or .com? Oh, shit. It's .org. Alley40Center.org. I'm sure if you just look up the name without either yeah. the .com or the .org, it'll pop up. It'll um, pop up. Meth and anyway, I both have had various wonderful. various human connections to this place over the years. It's near and dear to our hearts, and we yeah. hope it'll be near and dear to yours. And yeah. every year we will be donating to a different worthy queer youth org. So if you have one that you know, Please send it to us at heyadoracast at gmail.com. We're always looking for ways to help out queer youth. Yes. So, Meth, final question. Yes, Jenny. What makes this episode different from all other episodes? Why, Jenny, uh, uh, this episode was recorded live at FlameCon. Live at FlameCon? At FlameCon. What's FlameCon? Why, FlameCon is the world's largest LGBTQ plus comic con. And this year, just as it is every year, uh, it was in New York City. uh, And this was recorded in August 2022. Mm -hmm. It was so fun. At the Sheridan Hotel in Times Square. Sheridan Hotel in Times Square. That's right. And who sent in the application and said that we should do it even though we didn't technically meet the requirements? (laughs) Why, that would be Jenny. That would be me. I was so excited. I was over the moon that they accepted us. They thought we were real hot shit, even though we had never performed live before. And that was their one requirement is that everyone who applied had to have performed live. And I said, look, this is our first time, but I think we're pretty cool. And they were like, you know what? You guys rock. Yeah. Come grace us with your presence. So Jenny and I have been massive fans of theirs since they started. We just love them. Yes, yes. So I was tragically not able to be there because as... As top level careful as I always am with the COVIDs and the germs, uh, I got it from my roommate three days before. So Meth valiantly found another (laughs) co-host three days before the show. 
as I was on the plane, I got the message. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about your co-host, Meth. Well, luckily, uh, a co-host, uh, the co-host was actually a dear friend of mine that I've known for quite a long time who was uh, attending. So his name is TK, and he is from X's for Podcast, which is a Marvel Comics podcast. They do reviews uh, of new comics that come out, mostly mutant comics, mostly X-Men and Daredevil. They also do reviews on games, MCU stuff, all sorts of stuff. Wonderful queer nerds. So you can check them out on Twitter at X's for Podcast, or you can check out their their uh, site at X's for Podcast.com. Groovy. And yeah, next and year, next year, <laughs> all the queer gods willing, we will both be there. We will both be there and you will both you will gay scream with both of us. Yes. It was good time. So, Jenny, are you ready to enter the waste? Yes. Let's do it. I couldn't so, go with you to Flame Con, but I'll go with you to the Crimson Waste. Come, come with me now. Come with us as we go into the Crimson Waste. This next episode is Once Upon a Time in the Waste, live at Flame Con. Yes. Hey, folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your live queer Shira podcast. I'm Force Captain Math They Them. And I'm TK, he, him. And today we are going to be discussing Once Upon a Time in the Waste. Once Upon a Time in the Waste was written by Josie Campbell, who's storyboard by Jasmine Goggins, Mickey Quinn, and Jessica Zamet, directed by Jen Bennett. Also, you may see that Princess Jenny is not here today. Um, she was chipped. So <laughs> we're working on that right now. But, you know, instead, we have a very dear friend of mine. This is TK from X's for Podcast. I'm very excited to be here. I usually talk about X-Men all day, so I'm super stoked to be talking about She-Ra. I know. And I'm going to be talking about X-Men all day, too. No, I'm not. And then we'll get Buffy in the mix. You uh, know. We're definitely going to get Buffy in the mix. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm probably just going to talk about Buffy the whole time. <laughs> so you want to jump in? Well, I think first we got to talk about Spaghetti Westerns. I think we do, too. So Once Upon a Time in the Waste is actually a nod to uh, the Spaghetti Western. Western Once Upon a Time in the West by Sergio Leone. So Spaghetti Westerns, uh, here's a little mini Professor Smart Brain Nugget moment. Spaghetti Westerns were Westerns that were um, produced by Italian and other European filmmakers in the mid-1960s. They introduced the United States to Clint Eastwood. Uh, and as it sounds like, they are Westerns. You may recognize some of the themes as the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, once upon a time in the West, and what is it, Fistful, Fistful of Dollars? Fistful Dollars. So yeah. you might know the theme song from the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the... So that's the spaghetti western. And we get a really good establishing shot of Katra giving her best Clint Eastwood with her serape walking through the desert. Yep. So we have Katra as the man with no name with buzzards circling her, which... I don't think that's ever a good sign. No, I think we have a pretty good idea that we are not in a good place yeah, right now. Yeah, I Emotionally think, or geographically. Yeah, we're, we're really learning that the Crimson Waste just ain't all it's cracked up to be here. I mean, we, we just like we end the episode, which I think is a really good bookend, and Josie Campbell really likes to do this, we start and end with Catra's, a close-up on Catra's eyes and Scorpia in a distant voice. Which I thought was, you know, that's some good storytelling, am I right? And there's some repeat motifs and, like, mirroring moments throughout as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful, symmetrical episode. I love, I love a good symmetry in storytelling. So, we're, you know, we're walking through the Crimson Ways. Catra's like, 
where the hell are we? Hordak sent us here to die. And of course, sweet baby Scorpia. She's just happy to be there for yeah, the ride. Let's get a hand. You move so fast, we even love, on sand. We love sweet baby Scorpia here. She she follows her crush to certain doom. And that's my first gayest moment, in fact. Uh, like, I'm just going to go to the desert to die with my crush. That's not gay at all. Who... Who hasn't done that? And spend the whole time complimenting her. I know. So sweet. We love you, sweet baby Scorpia. Never change. So, you know, once again, we have Grumpy Catra, not in the best place, is doing, you know, one of my favorite kind of tropes, which is the, I'm grumpy, I'm grumpy, I'm not noticing anything. What's that? And notices the giant carcass, which looks like a Burning Man structure. Did you notice that there's like laundry hanging off of it? I did. I mean, you know, originally I was referring to it as a bar, but it's also kind of like a gang hangout. Yeah. I also get like queer biker bar, biker bar vibes yeah, from it. There's, um, there's like, we were talking about maybe there's like some furry but scaly. Scalies and furries you know, and you know all of our favorite. It's a niche location. There. It's a niche location. So we get you know we get Catra noticing it. Oh must be abandoned. Of course Scorpia as we've learned throughout the entire series that perhaps maybe going to force captain orientation wasn't the greatest idea because Katra didn't go as second in command. Scorpia did and was totally wrong because as we've learned, it's not empty at all. It's another, you know, and it's another nod to the cantina from Star Wars. That's a big motif. Whenever they go to like the bad guy spots, it's always like the That's cantina. a very spaghetti western thing too. You it walk is. into yep. the, you know, you're the, the man who comes into town and walks into the bar. And yep. Yep, and everybody turns around, and so we have... And one of the things that I really like about this is when we walk in, we hear a very kind of spaghetti western kind of guitar drag with the... So we're, you know, establishing the theme that this is deeply influenced by that genre. And then we have, you know, the bar patrons, just they're a bunch of roughs. (laughs) And it's really funny, though, to contrast it the previous episode where like Catra doesn't care at all. Catra's not the least bit scared. Yeah. Catra doesn't care about any of these people. Yeah. And the the threat that they are meant to give off is just completely mitigated by her does not give a fuckery. No, she definitely does not give a fuck at all. And she's like, oh man, what am I going to do? Get sent to the Crimson Waste to die? Like, no, she's already there. She's like, you know what? There is like that big don't give a fuck energy. It's like when everything already turns to shit, you just go, you know what? Fine, whatever. I'm just going to, you know, going to let go. And that's kind of what Catra does here. And God bless Scorpia for really still having that optimism that like things could somehow get worse. Like I, I love I love my friend. I want to look out <laughs> yeah. for her. And Catra's just like things literally can't get worse. You can stop looking out for me. We are in the worst possible position we could be in. And, you know, just just when you think things possibly couldn't get worse, of course, Catra gets accosted but first before she gets accosted she hears a little little have you ever seen that i've never seen that boy and his sparkly friend again and and catra was like huh sparkly friend blonde blonde you say hmm that she-ra character and then catra's like okay fine where do they go suddenly she has something to lose again yeah exactly (laughs) she's like oh wait adora i mean adora i mean adora i mean adora come on catra we all know right Right? So, and Scorpio's like, <laughs> yeah, Dora. Hey, maybe we not think about Adora right now. Aren't we in a great place? Just you and me hanging out in the desert. Isn't this awesome? When's Catra not thinking about Adora, right? Never. So Catra, you know, who is phenomenal at justification, is like, you know, if Adora's here, they're probably looking for the same thing. 
Yeah, good job, Catra. And I mean, from a self-referential standpoint, fair. Sure, but... On the other hand, we know there's a little bit of an excuse in there. Yeah, it's like, how do I get to see Adora and fight her? She's on a very different kind of hunt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so of course, we have Catra <laughs> just being like, what's going on? And then we have somebody trying to, you know, there are only two rules in the Crimson Waste. One, the strong make the rules. And then we have Catra going into her Faith Lahane moment. So, do we want to give a little background on who Faith Lahane is? I, I think I'm going to let you go and I will add color commentary. Sounds good. So, uh, if you are unfamiliar with our podcast or with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer all the time on our podcast because we're big Buffy nerds. Faith Lahane is the Dark Slayer. She's essentially... Catra to Adora's Buffy. Adora's Buffy. Yeah. Um, so, and she's, you know, she's the, I don't give a fuck, like, I'm a bad guy. But there's also very much that sexual tension between the two of them. And in fact, as we'd mentioned in one of our previous episodes, they were both, uh, Catra and Adora were influenced and modeled on Buffy and Faith, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think you really see it. And you see, that regardless of romantic or sexual interest, there is this desperation in both Buffy and Faith and in Catra and Adora for approval from each other, for mm -hmm. them to have this moment of, for from both sides, from when Catra's at her angriest and Faith is at her angriest, to have Buffy acknowledge her and to have Adora acknowledge her as valid and a person and somebody worth loving. And then at the same time, Adora and Buffy both really want to save this person and have them say, like, you were right, this is what we should be doing and i think that's you know that's what it is at its most basic but then from there you build layers on it and yeah. it gets very sexy and it's very times. sexy also they're both blonde capricorns there you go which is really interesting they actually have the same birthday and the same birthday as dolly parton which <laughs> i think is fun right those are like three blonde queer icons so i'm about that so we have somebody trying to bully catra and catra is just loses it she's like Okay, so I'm going to do the speech, okay? So if we're all familiar with the Crimson Waste speech, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> Pardon my very poor acting. Ha, laughs. So here's the thing. I've done this. The whole threatening people bit, the intimidation. I've been there. And I just don't care anymore. Some people have had a bad day. And then she drags her claws on the bar. I've had a bad life. If I want something, it's taken from me. And then she beats the crap out of somebody and steals a knife. If I win a fight, I lose the war. Threats only work on someone who has something to lose. But me, I've already lost it all. And then another one of my favorite tropes is without missing a beat. And you can't be any good at this because you just let yourself get distracted. And then boom, we have Scorpia doing the Scorpia thing. She's the lieutenant too. She's the lieutenant. She's, you know, she's always there for Catra. Knocks her out. I feel like this is a pretty, you know, dominant move here. Yeah. And I also think it shows that this is a good team. Yes, exactly. I definitely feel like this is like... Look, they're a great team. They have a good rapport. And we've established Catra as perhaps the strongest in the Crimson Waste. Perhaps we will get this answered later. Maybe. We'll I see. think so. We'll see. So as we we learn that Catra has now, now has two lackeys, henchmen, goons, if you will. We zoom in on an Ouroboros. So this is my first Professor Smart Brain moment. So this is an Ouroboros. <laughs> 
So the Ouroboros is an ancient symbol, and it's depicted as a serpent or dragon eating its own tail. So the image actually shows up all over the world. Um, we find it in China and in India. There are indigenous folks in uh, South America that use it. It's in the Zohar, which is the foundational text of the Kabbalah in ancient Norse mythology. It's friggin' everywhere. But one of the more common Western understandings of it comes through uh, ancient Greek, uh, excuse me, yeah, ancient Egyptian iconography and uh, Greek magical traditions, specifically Gnosticism and Hermeticism. So the Ouroboros in that is interpreted as the symbol for eternal cyclical renewal of life, death, and rebirth. It's the rebirth of eternity in the soul of the world. So just keep that in mind. I feel like it has a meaning important for this episode, but then I really wonder about kind of how it would be important for the rest of the show as exactly. a whole. Exactly. And also it just looks really freaking cool. It does look It just cool. looks really cool, right? So so we have that. So we have the Ouroboros. That was my micro Professor Smart Brain oh. moment. So. so then after we have our zoom in on the Ouroboros, we switch to the best friend squad. So we have some very important exposition here that will drive the rest of the series. <laughs> so, And of course we have... Huntara. We have Huntara. Gina, Gina Davis, Davis. Charlie right. Baltimore. Oh, gotta love Gina Davis. We're gonna go into Gina Davis. In fact, we have already gone into Gina Davis because we're going to be time traveling to the future past in our Huntara episode, which you have already listened to. So, Gina Davis, we love you. You're Huntara. You're amazing. You're in a first one ship. Bo is losing it. And Adora is just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, they're like, where did this come from? How did you find this ship? And (laughs) I love that this is the mother of all dust storms. It's like a thousand year dust storm. I mean, just like it just happens to have showed up like when we find Adora. Just very convenient. Just very convenient dust storm. We might have needed this plot to move along. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, climate change in in Etheria is a real thing. Um, And we, you know, we learned that it's kind of a little picked over. You know, there are some toughs here in the Crimson Waste. So they took everything they needed. They took everything they needed. And I love that Gina Davis is just so like, of course it's empty. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing was bolted down. You're like, yeah, okay. You know, they're bad. They steal. (laughs) They're grouchy. But she and still has a code of honor. She still, and that's they, why she's here. They do. It's yeah. for the toughest. Yeah. Who is the toughest in the Crimson Waste? I, she, we're going to learn. Well, you know, I think Huntara thinks it's she I think Huntara is. And then, she, yeah, I think so. I think, but I think we're going to learn who else claims to be the toughest yeah. in the Crimson Waste as we move on. But we hear a voice. She-Ra. The theory. Gone. Okay. So where the hell is that voice coming from? What? We don't know. And, you know, once again... We have, you know, kind of the the um, the motif that we have kind of going through the show where all Adora has to do is look at the floor and it matches her weapon. <laughs> oh, it's my shield. I'll just open it with this special code. So then we have the door opening up that mysteriously looks like She-Ra. Who would have thunk that? I mean, I do appreciate, though, that she has a line being like, the room we're in is really small and the ship is gigantic. Yeah. There has to be more. Good job, Adora. We love you. <laughs> And then we, so with some bats, some screeching, some of my favorite tropes, the door opens, and then we go back to Catra in a leather jacket. This episode is really important for a couple of reasons. One, Catra in a leather jacket. <laughs> Two, you know, Catra in a leather jacket. Um, we have Catra in a leather jacket. There is Catra in a leather jacket. That is an important thing it's to really keep important. in mind. I guess there's some character stuff that happens and some plot, but oh, oh, one more thing. Catra with a whip. 
There's a whip in the mix. And a leather jacket. I, um, so we have Catra in a leather jacket. I just got stuck there. Um, it's foundational. It is foundational. You know, it's really, it's a really foundational part of the text that Catra has a leather jacket. It's really second only to Catra yeah. in a suit. Exactly. So Catra in a suit. I kind of want to see a, a show of hands here. Catra in a suit versus Catra in a leather jacket. All right. You know, this is a hard question, right? So let's see for Catra in a suit. Okay. Okay. Very formal taste. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Catra in a leather jacket. Okay, we're learning a lot about everything. Keeping it casual today. and badass. <laughs> All right. Now here's my favorite. Ready? Catra in both. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There we go. There we go. I'm about that, right? So, okay, so we have Catherine Leather Jacket walking around with some goons. She's got henchmen now. She's got henchmen now. She decides one of them is Kyle, <laughs> um, and one of them gets petrified. Okay, so here's another fun aside. So I went on an epic road trip this year. I saw all of America. What a weird place, right? I mean, and I mean, I drove from coast to coast to down and everywhere, and we drove through the petrified forest in Arizona. Has anyone been there? Okay, so it's not like cool giant trees. It's freaking just, it looks like the crimson waste. It's rocks on the ground. And you're like, oh cool, rocks on the ground. They were trees once and now they're rocks. This is the crimson waste. My favorite part of this is there was a letter there in like the visitor center that a kid, you know, they're one of the big things is do not take the petrified wood. I'm like, okay, cool. We won't take, well, people obviously take the petrified wood because people are dicks. So we have a letter there from a kid who took a piece of petrified wood. And in this letter, the kid mentions that, quote, he had his bike stolen, his feet got blisters as big as his hand, his side hurts, which he posited may indeed be a hernia. Keep in mind, the handwriting on this looks like a seven-year-old wrote it. So, okay, so the seven-year-old has a hernia. And the worst of all, him and his girlfriend are about to break up. So the coolest thing, I know, poor kid, right? So the coolest thing that I learned about the petrified forest is that it's cursed. So don't steal cursed wood. That's turned into rocks. And here, you probably shouldn't bump into it either. You probably shouldn't bump into things that petrify you either. Because then girl Kyle has to drag you along while Scorpia is just being all happy and Catra is just yelling at you. So I do think it's super cute that she has to carry the other henchmen papoose style. I I know, I love them. And I also just love that, like, because this is the hench, the, the henchman that keeps, or henchwoman, because they're both women, um, they're both identified as women in the show, that because this is the one that keeps getting paralyzed and petrified and screwing up, Catra just names her Kyle. <laughs> because, seriously, Kyle, like, this is the screw-up one, right? So... And then we have some really lovely Scorptra moments. I always have a hard time getting that one out of the mouth. Scorptra. It's like a friendship. And a ship ship. It's like a friendship. Yeah, I mean, you know that right now Scorpia has a crush on Catra. Yeah. But you also know that for a lot of reasons, not the least of which being that we're rooting for Catra and Adora, 
there's also just like Catra's a little too toxic to Scorpia for us to be like, yeah, girl, keep going for it. <laughs> um, but the, you can get the like, I just want this cool person to think I'm cool. And you kind of think that's a crush, but it's not really a crush. You just really want a best friend. Yeah. I, yeah. It's like they want to like, I feel like Scorpio wants to have a really good snuggle, you know? Hey, buddy, why don't we just have a great snuggle here? Just you hang know? out. Just hang out. Go for out. a hike in the desert. Yeah. Play some. We can play some board games. You want to play Catan? I'm pretty good at Catan. If you happen to find another matching jacket later, I would wear it. Yeah, we can be pals. Best friend squad. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. And, you know, Scorpius having a good time and is like, hey, this is fun. And we finally see for the first time since the first episode, Catra smiling, which melts my heart because sweet baby Catra, you need more smiling. But of course... Of course, she can't, you know, she's got to be tough. So Scorpia catches her and we have one of my favorite shots, which is the Kawaii Scorpio was like the, the huge eyes, big eyes, all of the, you know, all of the stars, the little like the claws get all soft and it's lovely. And this is one of my, this is another great line where, you know, of course, Catra's like, stop it, shut up, stop, I take everything back. And Catra's blushing. He's like, you're doing that thing where it's obvious with your face, where it's obvious what you're thinking. <laughs> Scorpio's like, um, smiling? <laughs> like, yeah, good job. Uh, and we have a, you know, great moment where, you know, Scorpio's looking out, stops Catra from stepping into quicksand, which... We're going to talk about later, but apparently it's much less of a problem in my real life than I was ever told was going to be a problem as a kid. But we're going to get to another Professor Smart Brain moment about quicksand, which I'm excited about. And then Catra acknowledges that, oh, no, maybe they do make a good team after all. You know, they're pals. They might just be friends. They might just be pals. This is another one of my gayest moments. Because even if it's not romantic, they are both very gay. And you need a gay best friend when you are a gay best friend. Exactly. These two need each other. Yeah. In the gayest way possible. I love this. Also, I love that the Crimson Wish is just lousy with dinosaur bones. It's like, I'm just going to walk and look, there's more dino bones and up, there's more dino bones. But no one cares. They don't have our paleontological interests. They're just there. We'll build a bar in them. Yeah, we'll build a bar in them. Maybe we'll build a Thunderdome style fight pit in them, which they were just led to. And then we meet Tongue Lashore, who looks like the biggest leather gym queen you will ever meet. On top of the fact that the name Tongue Lashore in and of itself might be a gayest moment. Yeah, I'm with that. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, they're going to have a big old gym queen named Tongue Lashore. I guess that's a... Uh, I think you, that's not as intimidating as you think it is, Tongue Lashore. Especially not to a couple of lesbians. So, so... So we we see Tongue Lashore, we see our establishing of this giant gym queen, and then we cut to the best friend squad being goofy, trying to get into the ship. So we're there, we're in the ship, where Bo is very excited because, oh, wow, this is the same message as my tracker pad. And then we see a hologram, and we learn what Mara looks like. We have, I am Mara, Shiro of Etheria, and I am gone. And Adora is, of course, oh, my God, I owe so many things. I have to start. You don't even know where to start. And we learn that this is a loop. This isn't like a Light Hope interactive hologram. It's a loop. 
and Adora keeps trying to talk to the loop, and it's not working. And then Adora has her own meltdown moment, which is paralleled by Catra's meltdown moment. And I'm going to read Adora's meltdown moment again. Once again, pardon my very awesome acting. Of course it's on a loop. Of course it is. Because why would a hologram ever give me a straight answer? Solve a puzzle. Train. Let go. I do everything they tell me, waiting for answers. And all I'm left with is, 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 why was I taken from my family? Why was I forced to become a soldier? Why did I come here if this was nothing but a dead end? And we're just like, oh, sweet baby Adora, it's okay. It's okay. And then Adora does what she knows how to do to solve problems. She punches something. <laughs> so she straight up pulls back and punches the console. And you know what? This time it works. Because then we have a sword hologram pop up. And Adora's like, hmm? I have a sword. And it kind of looks like this hologram. Uh-huh. Huh. Oh. Clunk. And then we get Mara's message. And from Mara's message, we learn that maybe everything we heard from Light Hope was completely and totally bullshit. That Mara was not a bad, crazy person, but indeed was actually trying to save everybody. But I think I jumped ahead a little bit because we have to go back to Tongue Lashore. I do. So back to Catra in a leather jacket, who's leather jacketing and being Catra around, and we meet Tongue Lashore, and our Kyle and Petrified Not Kyle. I think that's a good name, right? Petrified Not Kyle. We're going to do that. Yeah. Kyle number two, the Kyling. Um <laughs> Are like, oh no, it's Tongue Lashor. And in a lovely bit of meta, we have Catra and Scorpio being like, are you fucking kidding me? This dude's name is Tongue Lashor. This is the dumbest shit I have ever heard. And they're like, what did you lose a bet? Like, I love this. And he's trying to do his villain monologue. I'm gonna crush you, everything. I'm the strongest in the Crimson Waste. Uh, he's, he's not. I mean, yeah, first off, we already know Huntara is... The strongest. Right, because it's Gina Davis. And so already we as the audience are not intimidated, but more importantly, Catra has nothing left to lose. Nothing left to lose. Catra has zero fucks left to give. Yeah, and when you have zero fucks left to give in anywhere, but especially in the Crimson Waste, I feel like that kind of knocks you a little bit above somebody who actually has fucks to give. (laughs) And it's just kind of that moment where you're like, you know how things are going to go and that it doesn't matter that the tension of like, can Catra possibly succeed isn't there because you want to see her succeed in the way that only Catra can. And she does. So Catra, as I've mentioned before, is a smart fighter. She uses what she does. Tongue Lasher comes after her with power. She uses agility, you know, and we have... You know, he grabs her and hangs her, you know, hangs her upside down. And she does what she knows how to do. She throws sand in his eyes and kicks him in the face, which is badass, right? And then leads him to quicksand, but not after acquiring a whip. So, catch her with a whip. (laughs) And a leather jacket. And a leather jacket. Catch her with a whip and a leather jacket. Catch her with a whip. And a leather jacket. We're going to file that one for a moment. We're just going to keep that back there. So I'm going to go to 
First of all, we're trying to, Catra and Scorpio are trying to figure out how one uses a whip because Catra doesn't use one. And Scorpio's like, well, there has to be a catchphrase, obviously, like whip. And Catra's like, that's totally stupid. And it's exactly the thing that Tongue Lasher does. <laughs> whip. He sucks. So we have Catra has now acquired a whip. Tongue Lashore is in the quicksand. And now I'm going to talk about quicksand. Why? Because it's quicksand. Okay, so we all know what quicksand is, but it is a non-Newtonian fluid, right? That is made of like silt or sand or, you know, any fine type of earth that is hypersaturated. So when you step in quicksand, you sink. But here's some fun things. One, the force that you requires to pull even like your foot out of quicksand, just like jank it up, uh, is insane. So if I get my foot stuck in quicksand, just trying to pull it out, I need to exert the same amount of force that I would have to use to pull a car. Think about that for a second. When they pull people out of quicksand in movies with just a yank, that ain't how quicksand works. You need to like tie someone to the back of a truck to do it. And even then you might lose a foot. So that's horrible. I think that's horrible. Number two, it is impossible for a human to entirely sink into quicksand. You cannot drown in quicksand. You can get stuck in quicksand about up to your waist or so. And then that really sucks because then you're exposed to the elements and you can die from exposure or, you know, bugs or I don't know tongue lash or or something <laughs> but you can't actually dehydration and tongue lash or I think are the two, two biggest threats to the two biggest threats yeah <laughs> but you can't actually drown in quicksand and just another nice little quick nugget and this one is really fun so and I kind of I'm just going to quote this directly <clears throat> According to a 2010 article by Slate, this gimmick has its heyday in the 1960s, the gimmick being, of course, people getting stuck in quicksand, where almost 3% of all films showed characters sinking in clay, mud, or sand. 3% of films. And, like, a lot of cartoons. And, like, a lot of cartoons. Looney Tunes. I feel yeah. like that's a really regular it in, motif. It was in Blazing Saddles. That was the first one that I thought of. So, like... And, like, when you're growing up, you think that there are three things that are going to be, like, really bad for you, you know, things that you're going to encounter when you're an adult. Getting stuck in quicksand, right? Getting stuck in an elevator, <laughs> right? And getting shot into outer space. Okay, that one is mine. Getting, um, like, lost in outer space. Mine was having an anvil fall on me. Oh, yeah, the anvil. Real yeah. concern. Yeah, I, I mean... Guess I guess getting like you know outsmarted by a coyote was a that, that was like lower that was like four and five. I mean I was concerned, but I always thought I had the smarts to fight back a little bit. Oh like, yeah, no, I don't have any like depth perception, so I would be like it's a hole. Punk. So anyway, we have that. Um, so you know, tongue lasher is stuck, and then we finally ask the question, and I'm gonna go back from the ready. Who's the strongest in the Crimson Waste? Catra, 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 
Catra. Yes, so we we definitely learned that Catra is indeed the strongest in the Crimson Waste. Although I really have to still have to point out, Huntara is still around. She just went to help some friends. I think I would really like to see that showdown. You know, I think that the fact that they haven't seen Huntara for like a day and all and of they're sudden, already like she's gone. She's gone. She's done. Yeah. The entire hierarchy that we've established yeah. is out the door. It's like they have no object permanence in the Crimson Waste. <laughs> they're like, where'd Huntara go? I don't know. I haven't seen her in twelve hours. Well, obviously she's not strong or here anymore. But it's to Catra's benefit, so yeah. we're here for it. One of my favorite parts about this is a really soft, quick moment. And it's one of my favorite parts from the storyboard. Is that how many how many people here have cats? Yay! I have two. <laughs> They're awesome. One is Charles Xavier Metallica. <laughs> the other is Olive Willow Ketchup. This is what happens when you let me name a cat. Um, and you know, when a cat trusts you and a cat is really happy, it will give you the slow blinkies where it looks at you and it slow blinks and you know that it trusts you and it's happy. And we have Catra turning around and doing this to Scorpia. And it's such a small, sweet moment. And I really love it because it's so, so subtle and then tosses a, tosses a vest, you know, kind of like this one. A. <laughs> to Scorpia. Who just is so happy. So happy. And they I have, have matching jackets I now. Oh, that's so cool. They're on like a team together. I mean, they were on a team together before. They were like force captains in the horde, but this is different. This is just them. And really, for Scorpia, I think she thinks this is the moment where it actually is going to be just them. I know. Oh, sweet baby Scorpia. And I have this also as... This a, is definitely a gayest moment. This is a gayest moment. Yeah, I have this. And then we go back to Mara's ship, and Mara's talking about how, you know, I don't know what they told you, but they lied. You know, it wasn't all bad at first. We were the first ones to settle Etheria, to really study this planet's magic. And I'm like, uh, except for the people that already fucking lived there. Okay, but, you know. Colonialism is a major theme throughout the show, and we get way more into it in season four and season five as well. But then we learn, how could it go so wrong? Light Hope used it. Can't. Weapon. The weapon. Weapon. And we were like, oh, fuck, there's a weapon. That's bad. That is bad news, bears. And so Adora's like still trying to talk to the hologram. Like, I love her, but it's, it's not going to work. Through sheer force of will, one day she is going to get an inanimate object to speak back to her. I mean, if, any, if Adora does anything, it's through sheer force of will. This is an Adora thing. And then we have Mara telling them that, you know, telling whoever is listening in the future in the void that she was the one that put... Uh, Etheria in Despondos, the empty portal pocket dimension thing. The world building is interesting in this show. And she didn't want to be a hero. And she doesn't think she's, she knows she's not going to be remembered as one. And that's also kind of a running theme through the show is what it means to be a hero and what, you know, self-sacrifice is self-sacrifice a heroic act. And of course, we learn that the really only heroic act in the universe is making out with your girlfriend at the end of the world, which queer love saves the universe. Obviously. Obviously. So we have 
this is kind of this is a big this is a big deal. And then we then learn from Mara that the sword is the administrator key to our planet, and then you can activate a portal with the sword, which I feel like that's big news. Yeah. It's not just like, you know, a giant phallic object. It's a game-changing system administrator it's, access code. Which is great. We have many of those in this show. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we have an alarm going off, and then, boom, Mara crashes, the ship powers down, and we have one of my favorite, another one of my favorite tropes. I love tropes. just makes storytelling so much easier. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, that's totally a trope. Obviously, it's bad. And it's like, no, there's a reason we utilize tropes as storytelling because it's, it's, a familiar, it's a familiar language that we can use. And it's fun to subvert tropes, but it's also just fun to use them. And this one is a really fun one to use, which is the villainous off-camera clapping. So we just hear the slow clap of villainry. And it's a really particular slow clap. It, it is, is very different from the comedic slow clap exactly. after, you know, it's or like the triumphant slow clap. Yeah, because it doesn't build. It's just slow clap. And it's in a moment where you're like, nobody should be clapping. Right. A slow clap, a sarcastic slow clap to threatening. Um, and of course, we have Huntara, you know, come out and face Huntara. Queen. Because, you know, she's still... Gina Davis, who is not only... I feel like Gina Davis might actually be the strongest in the Crimson Ways, not just Huntara. And on planet Earth, potentially. Yeah, on planet Earth. I mean, I feel like Gina Davis is definitely one, like a princess Mensa, Olympic archer. Again, yeah. I want to reiterate, Charlie Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. Come on now. Yeah, I mean, she was even in that really bad pirate movie. Oh, yeah. What was it, Cutthroat Island? Yes. Yes. I forgot about that. It's not a great movie, but Don't Gina Davis it. is awesome. But do um, watch Long Kiss Goodnight and uh, League of Their Own. Oh, yeah, absolutely watch A League of Their Own. Um, also, I heard the show is phenomenal, so watch the show if you like gay baseball, which I like gay baseball. Who doesn't love gay baseball? I mean... I guess some. There are probably a lot of people who don't. There are probably it's a lot of people that don't, but we do in this room. The two of us love gay baseball. So, of course, Gina Davis, who is the strongest in the Crimson Waste and possibly on Earth, is like, come out and face Huntara. And of course, you know, we have choo choo. No, no, they don't come out and face Huntara. They just shoot blow darts, you know, at everybody. I think a blow dart gun is also a pretty solid trope, too. I think so, too. Especially like, okay, so like. Do you really go down instantly if you're hit with, like, a trank dart? Does anybody know this? <laughs> Does anybody? I, I feel like that. I don't think so, it's right? It's to take at least a minute, right? Right? Like, only if you're in quicksand. Only if you're in quicksand, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we should add that to the list of things that are also dangerous for quicksand. Getting hit with immediate acting tranquilizer darts. <laughs> The struggling is what makes the tranquilizer get through your body yes, quicker. Yes, and also put you in quicksands deeper. This and is then, science. This is great science. I love a theory in science. <laughs> this is great a theory in science. Um, and we have <laughs> Huntara's like, you've joined Tongue Lashor. And then we have our awesome villain reveal where Catra comes out and says, they haven't joined him. They joined me. All right, I'm going to do my Hey Adora already. Hey Adora. That wasn't bad, right? <laughs> and then we have Catra in a leather jacket. With a whip. With a whip. The only notes that I have whenever Catra shows up is Catra in a leather jacket. Oomph. 
And then we have Adora trying to do Honor of Grayskull and then whip. <laughs> um, whip. Catra in a leather jacket. I can show you. It says Catra in a leather jacket. That's it. I just lost all train of thought for a moment. So, and then Catra is like, huh. Does the, ugh, this is so gay. Just like everything, like, it gets, it gets way gayer, but like this part is just like, always so dramatic with you, isn't it, Adora? And it's like, girl. <laughs> I don't know if Adora is the one that's The being two of you super... are the problem combined. Yeah, like the two of you are the drama here, okay? It's minimal with one in the room. Yeah, with the both of them, it's like, bonkers bananas and i feel like by the way slow clapping in the shadows yeah started the drama yeah and yeah exactly (laughs) it's that is a major projection that we have here but then we also know that catra is you know the queen of projection she is projecty from project town so we have huntara doing the awesome another awesome trope which is i'm too strong for darts to work which is awesome (laughs) thank you ten uh, and picks up Bow and Glimmer and runs out like a tank and, you know, lets them go. I have what I need is, you know. And Catra's like, yeah. And then we change the fucking scene and I... <laughs> okay. This is one of my gayest moments and also one of my... <laughs> okay. Moments. <clears throat> Catra, lounging on Mara's throne-like seat, one leg dangling, one leg bent up, the fucking sword between her legs, gripping it by the hilt, point resting on the chair, and her holding it with the biggest big dick energy you have ever seen. She's literally like this. I'm gonna do it, like, you can't really see it. like this. Yeah, motherfucker! And you're like... Okay, girl. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> With a big party at the home bar. With a big party at the home bar. And, you know, you mentioned something to me earlier about why this is your gayest moment. Gays can't sit in chairs. Gays can't sit in chairs. It's physically so. impossible for us to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, we try. We fail. In fact, if you could see me right now, I'm literally like... We di- are both not correctly sitting not, in our like chairs. diagonal spread leg being like, hey, how you doing? It's not working. Sorry, chair. So... So we see that Catra learns how awesome a party can be. She is not familiar with the word party. She learns it. She loves it. She's smiling. She's happy. She's running. She grabs Scorpio's claw. They run. They think they're alone now. No one seems to no one seems to meet anyone. Wait, we around. gotta go back real quick, real quick. Because she does the toast for Scorpia. Oh, she does the toast for Scorpia. Like because... to me, that's just such a like even the jacket moment is like very intimate in between mm, them. Yeah. But when she's like, no, everybody else has to acknowledge my best friend too. I know. This is just so much progress for them. I know. Good, good. And, and it's definitely going to keep and won't be lost for any reason. Definitely not. Definitely not. Catra's going to stay happy forever. All time. With Scorpia. It's not going to be reminded of Adora at all. <laughs> yes, she is. Sorry, I spoiled that for you. So Catra is like, Are you, I'm so happy. I got all this stuff. I can't wait to take the administrator key to the planet to open a portal to the Fright Zone and show Hordak. And Scorpia's like, why? We can stay here together forever. 
look how nice the sun is on my exoskeleton. <laughs> you don't have to remember any of that stuff. Forget Hordak. Forget Adora. And then Catra goes, what? What? No, I could never do that. But of course, you know, she has to prove her. Also, I guess she has to prove herself to everybody else. And, you know, if anybody has been in this situation, which is, you know, kind of backtrack. One of the things that I love about the show is how realistically it depicts people that have, you know, gone through abusive uh, spaces in their life and trauma and, you know, toxic relationships and stuff. And if you've ever been in this place, you do know that there... You have to be at the point where you can leave a toxic space. And Catra's not there yet. And Scorpio doesn't kind of get that yet. She's like, we can just leave and be happy. And Catra can't do that yet. She has to get there on her own. And that's not easy to do. But she does it. Which, you know, I think is great. That was my deep, like, heartfelt moment for that. Because, you know, if we've learned anything as queer people, is that we get to sit and process our trauma together. And it's a really great thing. So, also, she's never, like I said, she can't forget Adora. Oh, of course not. So, you know, she has to go uh, check on the prisoner. Uh Um, Okay, so this is my gayest moment. And this is a gay ass moment. This is also probably one of the kinkiest moments in the entire show. And this show has a lot of bondage, in case you haven't figured, watched this or figured this out. Um, And this is a person in a vinyl jacket telling you this. So, the gayest moment of gay that has ever gayed in the gays is is we have leather top Catra rolling in there in her leather fucking jacket, strolling in with her whip. Adora is tied on her knees, hands back to a pole or like a stalactite that's on a ship. Do we know what that's about? No, but she's tied to it arms back on her knees like guys come on like and Catra walks saunters in and is like well hello to you too and of course we have Adora being all struggling you can't do this because it's wrong and then we have you know well what can't I do and then we have some exposition I guess about Hordax trying to open a portal whatever there's a whole bunch of army Adora is tied up on her knees with her hands behind her back and Catra is leather topping thank you five (laughs) we actually timed this perfectly yeah I know it's great it's because I'm just like speed running it I'm like let's do this let's do this so just a quick thing normally when Jenny and I record we record for two hours and we have and it's just like oh my god gab 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 um, and then when we learned that we had 50 minutes, we kind of freaked out. <laughs> We're like, oh no, we have to talk about this in 50 minutes? Okay. So, and then Jenny turned into TK and, you know, the rest is history. My magical girl transformation. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, um, we learned that Adora has now informed that Catra that, you know, perhaps there's more Horde army and maybe that's not such a great idea. And... You know, Catra's like, what do you, how do you know that there's going to be a portal opened? And Adora says, Shadow Weaver told me. Well, that's not great for Catra. Shadow Weaver is in Bright Moon. Catra did not know this. And so Catra then pulls Adora 
in by the lapel and pulls her in and looks at her straight in the eye. And we have Adora tied up like this. And then we have Catra holding her. And it's like an iconic shot. And I know that this is like such an important psychological moment between the two of them. But it's so gay, guys. It's so gay. Um, so we have this really intense psychological, really incredible homosexual moment between the two of them. And Catra snaps. Shadow Weaver left me for you. All of this happened because of you. Shadow Weaver left because of you. You are better than me. And then Catra snaps. And Catra disassociates. And as I'd mentioned before, this is one of the more powerful um, depictions of dissociation I've seen on screen, definitely in a cartoon, where you have a close-up of her eyes, and then everything blanks out. Like, like, uh, like she blanks out, the audio blanks out, you can't hear it until Scorpio tries to bring her back. And it's like this like fade in, ring in, when Scorpio's like, hey, hey there, buddy. And you can tell that Catra's kind of back, but... <sighs> She's still like deeply, deeply wounded. The moment broke her. The moment broke her. And then Scorpia, who loves her so much, loves doesn't her. know what is happening, doesn't know that this has happened. So she's not seeing like, she thinks she's just distracted. She's not seeing like, I need to give this person help. And Katra, looking up, tears in her eyes, can't focus on anything else, says, we are going back. We're going back to open a portal and we are going to crush them all. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. See, the thing that I, the, about this show is that we have these awesome, like, the, the mix of, like, pathos and humor. We have these really awesome episodes where everything's like, hooray, yay, good. And then they end with this, like, Oh, like Princess Prom. Who doesn't love Princess Prom? Let's give a yay for Princess Prom. Yay. Right? It's all like, yay. Oh, this is like a Jane Austen book. Oh, this is like an 80s movie. Oh, everybody loves each other. Oh, my God. Are they going to kiss twice? Oh, Adora's left their hanging off with. <sighs> I love this show. <laughs> well, it looks like we have about 30 seconds left. So I would like to thank TK here. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you so Such much. Such a nice change of pace to talk about Shira for a little while. Yeah, why don't you plug? Why don't you yeah. plug? Um, please listen to me on X's for Podcasts. You can find us on X'sforpodcast.com or whatever podcatcher you use. We do Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. We talk about current X books, previous X books, all kinds of Marvel stuff. We'd love to have you listen to us. And if you need to know where you need to find us, we are Hey Adora. You can email us at heyadoracast at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify. Apple podcast, Google play, anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also find any of our things, including my country, uh, country themed playlist for this at heyadora.gay. <laughs> <laughs> and remember queer joy is radical and queer love saves the universe. Thank you. Bye everybody. Bye.